welcome to the World Stage, Nupi's podcast on world affairs. Uh, my name is Tor Olav Eversen. Uh, I'm a senior research fellow at Nupi. And with me, I have uh, my, co- my colleague from Nupi, research professor Cedric de Koenig. But this time, we also have a guest from the outside, Benedicte Bull, pro- professor from the University of Oslo Center of, for Development and the Environment. Uh, welcome to Nupi, Benedicte. We're very happy that you could join us. Thank you. The pleasure to be here. So uh, so today we will have a conversation about the role of the BRICS group in international affairs. So the the group recently expanded from the five original countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, to also include Saudi Arabia, Iran, Ethiopia, Egypt, Argentina and the United Arab Emirates. So a fairly diverse grouping of countries. And we will discuss a bit whether this is a symptom or even perhaps even a driver of greater geopolitical competition and conflict between the West and the rest. So, uh, Cedric, you recently published the piece BRICS and the West Don't Believe the Cold War Hype in the Global Observatory. So, b- but before we get to uh, Cold War hypes, uh, I would like to start with a bit of an historical question. So where did the BRICS come from? Yeah, that's an interesting question because um, uh, the Jim O'Neill, who was a uh, um, consultant or analyst for um, Goldman Sachs, if I remember correctly, coined the term in in two thousand and one, uh, and what he what he coined at that time was a kind of a recognition that uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China were emerging markets that should be accommodated in the world economy. Um, that, of course, didn't happen. And I think that that then resulted in in those countries, not because Jim O'Neill suggested it, but somehow they picked up on the, on the acronym. And uh, they came together and then established the, the BRICS in, in 2009 as an attempt to, to um, you know, come together as a kind of a partnership to work towards uh, greater equality in the global economy. Uh, so what would you say is the project, the core project of the BRICS today? I would say that the, all the BRICS countries um, f- have a shared experience of being on the periphery of the global economy and global decision-making and self-identify, maybe not Russia, but but definitely others, self-identify as being global south, therefore not being part of the global north that that dominates the global affairs. Um, And therefore their product is to try to change the global order in a way that can give them greater equality and participation in the decision-making of the global order when it comes to the global economy especially, but also when it comes to global politics. So this is uh, first and foremost about, to a large extent, about financial and economic issues, and not that, that much really about security or military cooperation. I think they see the macroeconomic arrangement in the global order as lying at the root of what determines um, power in the global system. So certainly there's, of course, a more holistic uh, interpretation of global power 
that in that certainly especially i would say the way the the us sees it for instance is focused also on on military might and political influence but i think these countries or at least the brics project is certainly takes the macroeconomic reform of the global system as the start or the core of the project um, but how difficult is it for this incredibly diverse group of countries to really find common ground I think it's it's going to be really really difficult. Uh, and uh, if you read the declaration from the last meeting, it's a, an incredibly broad declaration. It's true that it doesn't touch specifically on security issues, but it's it touches on a number of other issues. And uh, to me, it's kind of um, it is a very developmental proje project. And I think that's interesting in in the current context where you have climate change, the nat nature crisis, and we have a lot of debates of how to sort of limit uh, the very kind of aggressive development and infrastructure development and all that. This is a declaration of how to create a new drive for development uh, driven by those who have been, as, as Cedric said, in the peripheral, so, so in the periphery. But the countries are extremely different, and you can see how it's going to be very difficult for the different. There's clearly uh, contradictions uh, all in among the different countries on lots of different issues. So would that be developmental, like in a broad in in a broad sense? In a very broad sense, but also very classical sense, uh, I would say, uh, of infrastructure development, industrializations, uh, industrialization, economic growth, accelerating economic growth. Then there's also reference to um, sustainable development, women's development, and all a number of other issues, but definitely in a more classical sense, I think. Uh, so... Uh, what do you, Benedicta, since um, uh, you have a primary research interest in Latin America, uh, I would like to ask you, so what is the significance of BRICS from the Latin American perspective? Yeah, that's that's a difficult question because Latin America is a lot of different things. So I think that we have to start by distinguishing between the Brazilian perspective and that of the rest of Latin America. And for Brazil, uh, being a part of BRICS has been uh, being a part of the club of emerging powers. And and emerging powers is not, uh, Brazil has not always uh, looked like an emerging power. It's looked like a declining power for much of the last decade. But being in that club, it is kind of uh, taking part in where some decisions are made or, or getting closer to, to other uh, so-called emerging powers. So that is Brazil. And and for Brazil it's been partly uh, it's been quite important depending on on when we are talking about. Uh, but even the former president Jair Bolsonaro that was uh, kind of proclaimed himself against all of this before getting elected, he participated in the meetings. It was there was no breach with the with the BRICS. For the rest of Latin America, I think um, you also have to, to distinguish between at least a couple of different viewpoints. Some view this as one more organization that can help in an anti-imperial struggle. Anti-imperialism, especially anti-Americanism, uh, is strongly embedded in many countries. So some look at it that way. For example, Venezuela, that has also uh, expressed their uh, desire to become a member. Uh, it was not invited in this round. Um, for many, many 
many others, it's relatively irrelevant. If they're looking at how to um, uh, integrate themselves in some kind of processes to oppose the United States, it would rather be on a regional level, not so much at a, a global level. And, um, and the concern would not actually be so much becoming a part of some broader multilateral scheme, it would rather be to get closer to China for their own uh, benefit and, and other bilateral uh, actions. Uh, so for Brazil, there's actually been a certain consistency between the Bolsonaro administration and the Lula administration in the sense that both have been quite interested in BRICS. At least there was no, I mean, definitely, I think it's clear that the Lula administration is definitely more eager to uh, to play a part and to uh, take, uh, yeah, to encourage uh, this cooperation. But this is also about where BRICS were when Bolsonaro was the president compared to now. I think there has been a big change with uh, with the Ukraine invasion, Russia's invasion in Ukraine. I'm sure we're going to get back to that. And and also uh, the increased tension between Russia, uh, the US and China. Uh, so um, I think that it, it was a different time. Uh, but but there's been certain consistency in the attachment to BRICS. Yes. Um, and, and then we have Argentine, the new member. I mean, historically, it's certain certainly been like this. Uh, dynamic important economy but in 2023 that's perhaps not what most people think about when they consider Argentine so why do you think that Argentine is a like a an attractive member for for the BRICS? Well, I think it was a surprise even to the Argentinians that they became, uh, uh, they, they were invited. They hadn't even sent a very high level official to the meeting. So, um, and evidently this was the uh, maneuvering of Brazil that wanted to uh, bring Argentina into uh, BRICS. But um, if you're looking at trying to find some common denominator among the new BRICS members, it's hard to uh, overlook the fact that they are important to China. And Argentina is increasingly important to China. Uh, and vice versa, of course. Um, uh, China is very important to Argentina, especially these days. Argentina is in a big uh, economic crisis and they got a three, uh, $3 billion uh, dollar swap uh, um, loan from from uh, to, to save themselves through uh, a sort of renegotiation with the IMF, got it from China. But Argentina has some very important resources for China. Uh, Lithium uh, on the top of the list. Latin America has 70% of the world's lithium reserves and Argentina has uh, quite a big share of those. Um, Soy, oil, uh, it is a major natural resources exporter. And so I think that um, that's my explanation in addition to uh, Brazil wanting uh, to bring Argentina in. Interestingly enough, because Argentina has always tried to stop Brazil from, from becoming too important in multilateral contexts, voting against their Security Council membership, among other <laughs> not very nice neighborly actions. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, so, um, Cedric, uh, you, you have a national background from South Africa, so therefore I found it nat uh, natural to ask you what, what, is, what is the significance of BRICS like from more of an African perspective? Yeah, it's interesting because listening to Benedicta, I thought when she was describing Brazil, it was almost describing South Africa as a bit of a declining, uh, collapsing state on the one hand, 
at the same time, uh, still the you know one of the largest economies in Africa, perhaps the most industrialized economy in Africa, and still politically important. But of course, membership of the BRICS um, m- gives South Africa that additional affirmation that it is an important country, one of the most important, powerfully uh, recognized countries worldwide in Africa. So for 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 South Africa, I think that kind of affirmation of being part of a group like the BRICS, being the African representative in the BRICS, is very important. But South Africa has also been at pains to make sure that the BRICS and their BRICS membership can be of benefit to Africa as a whole. So in the previous times when they hosted BRICS summits, and this time again, uh, the main focus of the summit was, in a sense, outreach to Africa. What other benefits are there from to the BRICS for, for African development and African growth? Um, South Africa will also, for instance, host the G20 in, in 2025, the first time in Africa. So it all fits as part of that kind of role that South Africa plays as uh, being, you know, one of the countries in Africa that that uh, plays this international role. Of course, South Africa has a, a wish to be a permanent member of the Security Council, and uh, this certainly plays into into that ambition. It's interesting that at all the previous summits, this was the 15th summit of, of uh, the BRICS, at all the previous summits, the summits only acknowledged the interest of you know, Brazil, India, and, and South Africa in terms of their uh, ambitions at the United Nations. But this summit, for the first time, the summit actually endorsed the candidacy of India, Brazil, and South Africa to become permanent members of the Security Council, which is quite interesting because many people, for instance, thought that you know, China would uh, block any attempt of, for instance, India to become a permanent member of the Security Council. But interestingly enough that uh, we, we see this kind of wording, new wording in the, in the summit final outcome document this year. Um. That's a rather uh, interesting uh, security implication of this collaboration between, uh, like you say, China and India. Uh, they have a, a border conflict that went, was violent even like a few, a few years ago. So it's, uh, uh, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's several, you know, Benedicta mentioned earlier, tensions amongst these countries, right? So if you, you can think of China and India as rivals in, in, in Asia or South Africa and Egypt competing for a Security Council seat or Egypt and Ethiopia in, in, in loggerheads over Wh- the Nile. Which are both joining. Uh, yes. Uh, these are all um, countries I'm mentioning now that are BRICS members or new BRICS members, right? Or Saudi Arabia, Iran in the Middle East. And one of the things I was thinking about, you know, maybe becoming BRICS members uh, also has some kind of a stabilizing effect in the sense that you, at the very least, you are now in a locked into a very regular diplomatic cycle where you meet together and maybe there's some trust building or relation building as part of that process. Um, but maybe there's also some external pressures as being part of the BRICS. Thus, you have to lower your rhetoric against each other. Um, so being part of the BRICS can also maybe perform a kind of a stabilizing role in some of these, around some of these tensions and, uh, and relations between some of these countries. 
And um, uh, Ethiopia is, uh, has, of course, been seen uh, for years as uh, an emerging uh, economic power in, in Eastern Africa. But at the same time, it's been uh, like riven by this uh, extremely uh, violent and destructive civil war for, for years that at least partially ended uh, last year. So why do you think that Ethiopia is like a, an attractive prospect for the BRICS? I think the way Benedict uh, described Argentina is very true for Ethiopia as well. Ethiopia was probably the primary partner for Russia, uh, sorry, for China in Africa. Uh, very strong commitment in investment in Ethiopia over the years. With China's help, Ethiopia became the, the largest small industrial producer in Africa. And um, I think similarly perhaps to Argentina, China is not so concerned about what's happening last year or next year, but they look at the long-term role of and their relationship with these countries over time. Um, and in that context, I think uh, uh, we can see the strong role that China plays in the BRICS in choosing uh, these particular type of um, new members that we've mentioned now. And how about Egypt, uh, which is, uh, I mean, still demographically a powerhouse in the Middle East and to some extent economically, but also very much tied to the U.S. in terms of its uh, uh, security interests? It's very interesting because, I mean, of course, China itself also has, you know, a very strong ties with the American economy. But yes, countries like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates that we would traditionally think of as being very close to America, both economically, but I mean, countries like Saudi Arabia and UAE also host large US military bases. And yet I think these countries um, agree with the core project that you asked me about earlier. You know, they, they uh, as Benedita also said earlier, in terms of anti-imperialism, they, they also, although they're on the one hand close to America, at the same time they feel that they are on the periphery of the global economic system uh, and they probably want to invest in this project as a way of increasing their role in the global system. Thank you. So uh, I also wanted to follow up on that point of uh, anti-imperialism. Um, so uh, some analysts uh, and commentators see this uh, or interpret the growth of the BRICS as in the light of this like, re-emergence of a non-alignment movement, meaning the movement of countries, uh, sometimes also named the third world, that refuse to take a position in the uh, Cold War between the US and the Soviet Union. So uh, do the BRICS in any meaningful uh, sense uh, express or represent a revival of a non-alignment bloc? I think the revival of those thoughts have definitely uh, made more countries interested in joining the BRICS. It's not only the BRICS, there's other also uh, more regional uh, constellations, but um, at least in Latin America, the idea of active non-alignment has been 
very much discussed lately and it's a, a kind of a concept launched by a group of mainly Chilean but also uh, some Brazilian intellectuals some years ago uh, to uh, kind of revive that non-aligned movement but in a different global context and uh, may and try to make make um, sort of the uh, different actors uh, act, taking active part and and contributing to uh, to form this kind of the the new world the new world order that they see emerging uh, trying to keep some distance both to China and to the United States um, BRICS in that context has a lot of uh, there's a lot of problems with that idea, both because both China and Russia is a member of BRICS, the US is not, uh, evidently. Um, and because the, the BRICS in some sense build on the existing order, the, the final declaration in South Africa, I think it's very noticeable that much of it reads as a reconfirmation of the already existing order, the UN system, the WTO, uh, various others, other global institutions but then they try to give it kind of uh, a new meaning and and uh, and put in some new uh, new ideas in between and so um uh, so it's it's complicated in the sense that it's not really um that much new it is what bricks the bricks uh, uh, bricks kind of project to me is also a capitalist project it's not not uh, it's not uh, different in the sense that the non-aligned the non-aligned movement in the 70s they tried to create create also a new economic global order that should be very different from the capitalist order the bricks is not really different and at the same time the bricks is very much associated with one of the poles that the non-aligned movement seeks to be uh, more independent of. Of course, you have, as as uh, Cedric also said, several countries that are both participating in G20, uh, and uh, and and most of them are have uh, agreements with the IMF, and uh, so so they were in this kind of Western-led system at the same time as BRICS. So in that sense, you can say it is um, it is kind of a part of that, the new active non-alignment, but. As in the 1970s, there was a fear that in the end, non-alignment would mean association with the Soviet Union. I think the the argument will soon appear that non-alignment this time will actually mean association, kind of associating themselves with China. It was very interesting that the South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa, on the eve of hosting the summit and also hosting a state visit by um, Chinese President Xi Jinping uh, made an address to the nation in which he clearly uh, argued that South Africa is non-aligned and uh, kind of said to the nation, yes, we're hosting this BRICS summit and this is the benefits and we have this relationship with China and this is the benefits, but this does not mean that we are pro-China and anti-West or anti-American. And then he stressed that we, so Africa is also hosting a uh, US-Africa summit later in the year and an EU-South uh, South Africa summit later in 2023 and uh, hosting the G20. And so... Uh, it was interesting that South Africa, in that sense, argued that they are non-aligned, which is something separate from the BRICS. And uh, if I think of countries like India and others, they maybe try to position themselves as well as, on the one hand, they're part of the BRICS, 
but on the other hand, they are non-aligned. So that their BRICS membership does not equal to being in some kind of an alliance with only one block versus others. Um, so this is, of course, you know, a, a difficult position to sustain, but this is certainly how they try to position themselves. And I think in that sense, the, the BRICS for me is a strategic partnership around this particular project that we've identified, as opposed to an alliance around a broad set of, of, of political and, and strategic aims, um, maybe like the G7 or NATO or something like that. It's, it's not something as coherent as that. It's very interesting that the uh, South African hosts of the meeting actually found the found the need to to explicate that that they all they also are tending their bonds with the U.S. and and the EU. So I think you you said Rick touched upon this in the text and also you me just uh, mentioned it, uh, Benedicta, that um, the the BRICS countries they have a f uh, fairly different approach to the Ukraine war than the West has and perhaps wants them to have. So it would be interesting to hear a bit more about that. I know that, for instance, Brazil has been vocal here and so has also uh, Egypt and, and South Africa. Yeah, I think um, Brazil's position here reflects at least two different currents within Brazil. It is clearly a kind of alignment with Russia among, I would say, the president, uh, his main uh, security advisor. Um, and while there is, uh, there is among the large other uh, kind of parts of the uh, Brazilian uh, foreign ministry and administration, a very strong uh, kind of need to emphasize uh, the the importance of international law and uh, international rules. And we've saw, seen that uh, in s that tension has come to the surface at many, uh, many times after the Russian invasion in Ukraine, that uh, Lula has said at some point sort of that both Zelensky and Putin, they're uh, partly responsible for the war. And lately now, um, he said that if um, if Putin should come to uh, Brazil, they would not uh, arrest him. <laughs> As he, he is, there is a call for arrest under the International Criminal Court, which was the reason why he didn't visit uh, South Africa. Uh, and that he, so he would not really take that so seriously. He had to backtrack on that because he was severely criticized among uh, from other uh, groups within the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Itamarachi and others, uh, because their position has always been to, to hold international law very high. And I think um, and I think that is a tension that is very evident that will surface if you kind of listen to what happened in South Africa. They would, on the one hand, emphasize all of that, those international rules. On the other hand, um, Russia will be the host of the next meeting, and Russia is a very important uh, partaker in the project. And um, and uh, there's also has been a resistance against uh, too strong uh, um, condemnation of the Russian acts in Ukraine. Yes, I I agree. You know, I think the the summit in Johannesburg tried to steer steer, steer clear of uh, taking a too strong or clear position on on the Russian war in Ukraine. Um, other than emphasizing the need that the conflict need to be resolved through dialogue and diplomacy. And, and I think there's some countries in the BRICS, like Iran, that are clearly supporting Russia. 
but most of the others have, have tried to stop short of either supporting or condemning Russia. But it's interesting there. Uh, there was a, a General Assembly resolution in March uh, 2022 which condemned the invasion and demanded that Russia withdraw from Ukraine. And some of the new members like Argentina, Egypt, Saudi Arabia and UAE all voted in favor of that resolution. Uh, whilst China, Iran and South Africa abstained, Ethiopia didn't vote at all. Um, so again, quite a... a a different set of positions when it comes to the war uh, in Ukraine. Overall, however, I think it's important to remember this core project of the BRICS, um, uh, that you know, for them the medium to long-term transformation of the global macroeconomic and financial system is what they are focused on. And therefore, I think especially countries like China are probably very frustrated that the Russian war in Ukraine has detracted from that overall project. And I think in, in your text you actually mentioned that there's been this, like, in some sense, quite historical peace initiative from Egypt and South Africa. Yes, actually several African countries that uh, have taken this initiative. You know, again, they were in a sense uh, challenged by trying to be non-aligned. And then I think they decided to take the agency to act on it and said, no, we are for a mediated solu solution. So we're actually going to try and 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 uh, mediate between uh, Ukraine and Russia. And so of the BRICS members uh, or new members, Egypt and South Africa are part of that group, but also several other African countries. And they did travel and met with uh, both uh, President Zelensky and President Putin. And... Um, you know, I think initially people thought it's a quite strange uh, and insignificant kind of initiative. But I think uh, on the one hand, they've been quite pragmatic and realistic about their ambitions. It's not necessarily to, to, to think that they could mediate an end to the conflict, but they have been focusing on prisoners of war and the grain deal and issues like that and emphasizing especially the negative impact of the war on, on, on Africa. I mean, countries like Egypt are severely affected economically by, by the war. Um, but I think also interestingly from perhaps, for instance, President Putin or Russia's perspective, they would probably rather want to work with this kind of mediation initiative than, than some others from other prominent countries in the world. So I think in that sense, it has actually turned out to be quite an interesting initiative. We'll see where it goes. Certainly. I think so, sort of just to mention that, for, I think also the Brazilian initiative for to position themselves as kind of mediators, um, it was um, it had a lot of weaknesses, uh, definitely, but it was also very strongly ridiculed in the West, and I think that is also um, a mistake because there are serious. Uh, there it was. A, in part a serious attempt and they, they do have contacts and they do have capacity to contribute and I think the the feeling of them being just kind of laughed out of the uh, mediator's table uh, does not really contribute to um, improving this very tense climate that there is in in, uh, in, in international relations in part uh, during these times. Um. I would also like to touch upon uh, sort of the Western point of view here. So how um, I thought it was really interesting to see that uh, in the recent weeks, the U.S. president has visited, I think, Vietnam and India. And he's uh, visited uh, 
is also promised fairly substantial economic investments and also infrastructure investments, which seem to be repeating some uh, of the tenets of Chinese aid to these uh, to these countries. Um, so, uh, yeah, oh, what kind of counter moves do you expect from the West? I think the. West see the BRICS as, you know, an attempt to challenge the uh, liberal order and perhaps as some kind of a club of, of autocrats. Um, I mean, my, my sense is that uh, our analysis of the BRICS needs to be more nuanced than that. Uh, it's interesting that there's a, a number of democracies inside the BRICS uh, and they seem to coexist. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a number of countries, especially among the new members, that are also strong allies of the West and especially of America and hosting of US military bases and so on. So I think perhaps if, if I was uh, uh, the American president or uh, a politician... In, Maybe in, someday. <laughs> in a, in a Western country, I would ask myself, you know, what is this core project that these countries find themselves in a strategic partnership about? Um, what is those core interests which they are, uh, which articulates their grievance, and what can we do about that? Um, so that I don't think we should, you know, reduce ourselves to this binary competition between the West and the BRICS, but rather look for what areas of shared values and interest may there be between some of the members of the BRICS and some of the members and cooperate on that, uh, some of those areas. I think uh, that may give us a much more uh, nuanced approach to uh, dealing with, with countries in a changing global order as opposed to going for a kind of a binary zero-sum game analysis. Yeah, I think seen from Latin America, um, it's... It's quite evident that the U.S. is going for a binary zero-sum uh, analysis in Latin America. The the, um, the head of the general that's now leading Southcom, she's traveling around Latin America arguing that China is her main, main enemy in Latin America. So it's very clear, very blunt, seeking to keep China out, seeking to present this as a zero-sum. And that is actually creating a lot of resentment against, against the Latin American countries. So I very much agree with uh, Cedric that, that one should rather look at the, the content here and seek to find ways to collaborate. But I think, I think you see now a lot of counter uh, movements, um, economic uh, and others that also uh, the countries in the global south can benefit a lot from. Already, uh, the counter moves in Latin America has made Mexico, again, the U.S. main uh, trading partner, uh, uh, kind of going ahead of China. And it, it was China just a few years ago. Uh, the U.S. has now established, a, a, I think it's 50 billion euro package. I don't really remember the sum. It's a big sum of money uh, of the global gateway, which is kind of competing with uh, with uh, the uh, Belt and Road Initiative in Latin America. You see now in the G20 uh, meeting that there's also new infrastructure, new develop large-scale development plans uh, uh, promised. So I think it's, it is driving a kind of competition for development uh, in the global south. 
which is interesting. It's also complicated thinking of the situation we're in and with climate change and the nature crisis, but it's an interesting development. Um, certainly. Um, I think our, our time is unfortunately running quite short, but I would like to, uh, to ask you like one last question, and that is like, how do these countries do these countries like push back to towards a zero sum conceptualization of uh, like great car power competition between the US and China these days, and 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 how and how do these countries also more specifically manage this uh, this tension and balance balance these interests of each other? I think some countries, probably like Russia, do also see this as a binary zero-sum game. Um, I think uh, China probably would like to avoid that kind of articulation because they, they do see themselves also as interdependent uh, or their future growth and, and uh, development as, as interdependent uh, part of the global economy as requiring a good economic relationship with the US and the West. Um, and other countries like India or South Africa, even more so, would, would, as we discussed earlier, see themselves as nine-aligned, as generally that their economic growth is, de is dependent on good relations with as many countries as possible, certainly including China, the US and the West. And so they're trying to benefit and balance that relationship uh, uh, with, with both with both sides or with or with all the strong pole, you know, multipolar uh, centers of gravity of the future, including India, of course. Yeah, I think um, there was uh, explicit efforts to try to balance it. I think the, the fact that Lula, his first trip uh, abroad was to the US and then it was to China. It, and that we've seen, it's become a pattern. They want to express that the US is still very important, but we also want to be very closely associated with China. So I think... Um, um, I, th I think there's attempts at balancing that. I think also that uh, some of these countries, uh, also the countries themselves in the BRICS and, and their, their neighbors need to be clear on what kind of order they, they want uh, and what role uh, human rights and democracy and international law should play in that order. Because that is where you see that, uh, I mean, it is... Um, the the sort of international law and human rights is a red line for uh, many uh, countries in the West, and it it is also for a great part of their own constituencies. So um, it's not just deciding between China and the U.S. It is about what what kind of principles should guide this new order that the BRICS um, is supposed to support. I think we could continue this conversation for hours and hours. There's uh, a lot to talk about, but it was really, really interesting to talk to you both. Thank you, Cedric, thank you. Uh, for thank you. Uh, for joining our conversation. And especially thank you to you, Benedicte, for coming all the way from Blindan to, uh, to us at Nupi. So we really appreciate that. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here. <laughs>